Good morning. Kathy, as Kathy already mentioned, we're starting this morning a new series entitled Humanity Revealed that is going to go through the season of Lent, which was started this past Wednesday at a beautiful service. And so many of you came out and we're so glad to share that season as we started this new uh, this new march towards Easter, as we reflect on our own frailty and as we reflect on our own failures and as we reflect on the beauty and the reality of Jesus who has overcome all of that so that we could have a relationship with him. This, uh, this season, we want to uh, take a look specifically during this series at what humanity looks like apart from God. What humanity looks like apart from God. From the very beginning, God created humanity to be in a relationship with him, to be in relationship with each other in such a way that everyone would thrive. However, humanity chose to use their freedom to go against the design and the will of God and quickly distorted their humanity and destroyed the paradise that God had created them to live in. The purpose of this series is to remind ourselves of the capacity that humanity has to destroy our relationships with God, to destroy our relationships with each other, and to destroy ourselves as we move away from God and we move towards the things that destroy us. In this season, for these five weeks, we're going to be looking at how disbelief destroys us, how hate destroys us, how greed destroys us, how how idolatry destroys us, and then lastly, how pride destroys us. To keep the series from getting too depressing, however, we're going to always end by looking at how Jesus has forged a new pathway so that humanity can be restored. And although our pride and greed, our idolatry, our disbelief, our hate destroys us, destroys our relationship with God, destroys other people, that Jesus has forged a new way of being human. We say new, but maybe we don't even mean new. Maybe we mean he has shown us the original way that we should have walked in, that we chose to forsake, that we chose not to continue in. And Jesus now has come onto the scene and he has become everything that we should have been from the beginning. These stories in the early uh, chapters, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, are representative historical stories that teach us not just what happened all those years ago, but also are representative of the human heart and how we will go as well if we turn away from God. Where the first Adam and Uh, The name Adam, in fact, just means mankind, right? So this person who exists in history is also representative in the text for all of us. The first Adam, where he failed to live the life he should have lived, one of Paul's favorite images in the New Testament, especially prominent in Romans chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians 15, one of Paul's favorite images is that Jesus is now the new Adam, the second Adam. He is the Adam as Adam should have been from the beginning. And so what Jesus teaches us is that it is not our humanity that is the problem. So many religions in the world will tell us that it is our flesh, that it is physicality that is our problem. But Jesus teaches us that it is not our humanity that is the problem, but it is our fallenness our sinful, fallen human nature that is the problem. But Jesus has reforged and forged anew a new way of looking at humanity, a way that 
was how God created us from the beginning. St. Augustine, a a very well-known pastor and theologian from the 4th and 5th centuries, said this, that humanity from the very beginning was created so that they were free, but they were free to do good and free to not do good. And when Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins, he forged a new type of humanity, whereas he will give us his spirit And humanity can be free, but free only to bless and help us. Free only not to sin. Not robots, but free only not to sin. And that is the kind of humanity that we are told, that we are promised, that we are moving towards. And of course, you look at me this morning and you're saying, that isn't the experience I have right now, is it? And it's not, right? Within each of us, we possess the ability for great light and goodness and great evil and darkness. And yet, Jesus has forged on his death and resurrection a new type of humanity to keep us free, but free only not to sin. And so this morning, as we look at what humanity was at its worst and is at its worst, and we see what humanity can be, if we would only follow after the pattern of Jesus, we start by looking at the earliest story of sin that we have in the Bible, the original sin. It's found in our Bibles in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. And it's really easy to find because it's on page 2, right? It's at the very, very beginning. Uh, So even if you're not using one of the Bibles that we provide in front of you and you're using your own, you just have to turn to the very first book. And it's in the first couple chapters, chapter 3. And we're going to be specifically looking at verses 1 through 7. As you turn there in your Bibles, I just have one quick reminder that I want to keep your focus on. We are now in the first week of Lent, and we have five weeks of Lent before Palm Sunday and Easter, the, the beginning of Holy Week. And every single year at Easter time, we celebrate baptism, which is this beautiful representation of life in Jesus. This step that we all take, that we take as Christians, not that we all take, but that we take as Christians to declare with our, uh, it is our intentions to follow Jesus with both our belief and our behavior. If you have not been baptized and you're uh, a person who follows Jesus with all their heart, we would love to have a conversation with you about that. Um, And you would just simply have to reach out to us and I would love to sit down with with you about baptism as it comes time this Easter when we will be celebrating baptisms in our service. But this morning, let's continue with our series and let's take a look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This is the story of the first sin. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then, The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, that it was pleasing to the eye, and that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. And she took some, and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. 
and the eyes of them both were opened, and they realized they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made coverings for themselves. This is the first sin. Throughout this series, we're going to see two things every week. How humanity has been revealed at its worst apart from God and how humanity has been restored. And so what do we see this morning? What does this text show us about humanity at its worst apart from God? What does it reveal? It reveals that humanity has an inclination to choose not to believe in the word of God. That humanity has an inclination, an inclination to not believe God. In our text here, we have uh, the introduction of a new character. And it's a very odd character, right? It's a talking serpent. A serpent who comes into the garden where Adam and Eve have dwelled with God in bliss, right? Eating from the fruits of any of the trees in the garden. And now the serpent comes on the scene. The serpent that apparently God created, right? There's no reason to not think he did. Uh, The identity of the serpent is not given. Historically, the serpent has always been um, associated with Satan, and I think that's probably the right way to go with this one, right? But the serpent comes on the scene, and the serpent has a discontentment himself. And the serpent comes to people who are completely content and begins to stir up a discontentment within them, right? Have you ever been happy and then you're around someone who's really negative and you're like, you know what? I may not be as happy as I thought I was. Does this make sense? The serpent comes and the text describes the serpent as subtle or crafty. Do you see that in verse one? Now the serpent was crafty. This word for crafty is actually not a negative word. Uh, It is used plenty of times in the Old Testament in positive uh, connotation. But the word crafty or subtle, depending on your translation, is a word that often relates to wisdom. And wisdom, what I mean by wisdom, is the ability to look at people and to know how to speak and act around people desired. Have you ever, maybe some of you, very crafty and subtle, and you know how to manipulate people well, right? There's a way of using your people skills to uh, do good in this world, and there's a way of using your people skills for your own advantage and to deteriorate and destroy, right? The word is not good or bad. There are times when the word is used for good connotation, and there's times when it is negative connotation. Certainly here we have one of the negative ones, right? The serpent is very crafty. He is subtle. And he knows how to act in such a way that it will deteriorate the belief that Eve has in God. And when we say the serpent is subtle or crafty, what we mean is the serpent doesn't come right out and directly attack God, right? He doesn't come out and say, God is an evil being and you should get out of here quick because he's trying to destroy you, right? He doesn't say something like this. The serpent is subtle. The serpent is crafty. And the serpent says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now, if we want to know what God actually said, all we have to do is we have to look at chapter 2, verse 17, and you don't even have to turn the page. And what does God actually say? 
But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. The serpent knows what God has really said, but the serpent is trying to manipulate emotionally Eve. And what is the serpent trying to do? He's trying to deteriorate Eve's confidence in the truth of God's word, what he says. And what we see from this text is that humanity chose not to believe the truth of God. Humanity chose not to believe the truth of God. And how does Eve respond? She says to the serpent, oh no, God has not told us that we cannot eat from any tree. He's told us we cannot eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. He's told us we may not touch it, for when we do, we will die. But do you notice, did you look in your uh, Bible at chapter 2, verse 17? God didn't say anything about touching it, right? God just said you can't eat from it. It may be a natural good boundary to not touch that which you cannot eat. So there, there's some wisdom there, I, I guess, yes? <laughs> um, you can't eat this cookie. Uh, okay, so I can see where I wouldn't want to touch it, smell it, and lick it, you know? That would be a good idea. So, I mean, there's some wisdom there. But do you notice how Eve is adding to what God has said? She is adding, and the serpent is playing off Eve's inclination to stop to believe what God has said. But the serpent doesn't stop there, does he? He continues. And after Eve says, no, we can't, we can't eat or touch, but we can eat anything else. The serpent doesn't say, well, that's amazing. We'll have a great time eating pomegranates, apples, and all the other kind of good things that grow on the tree, right? He doesn't say, oh, my mistake. You have it really good here. He says, he starts to question Eve and say, now, why do you think God said that? Why do you think God said that? And what does he deteriorate? Look at verse 4 and 5. He says, you will certainly not die. Do you see that directly contradicting what God had said? You will certainly not die, for God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will, believe, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see what the serpent is doing? He is playing to Eve's desire for greater self-sufficiency, for greater power, for greater independence. And he is deteriorating Eve's belief in the goodness of God, right? He is deteriorating Eve's belief in the goodness of God. Because humanity, from the very beginning, chose to not believe in the goodness of God, to not believe that his motivations are for our best interest, to not believe in his integrity in his heart, right? And so Eve, listening to the seductive voice that is deteriorating the belief that she has in God's word, in his motivation, she takes the fruit, whatever it was, she puts it in her mouth and she tastes that it's good and she chews it up and there's no lightning bolt from heaven that strikes her down dead, right? And she goes and she gives it to her man, to Adam. 
And he's like, okay, I'll eat it, you know? I'll eat it. And so, for the first time, humanity, and we don't know how much time went on between when creation and this event, you know, we, we just don't know, we're not told. For the first time now, humanity feels an alienation from God that didn't exist before because disbelief leads to alienation. Disbelief leads to isolation. It is one of like the, I don't know, like cardinal truths of sin is that it alienates and isolates us from other people. That when we do it, it destroys our relationships. That it makes us want to be alone because it makes us ashamed. And do you see what it says in the text? That after Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they looked at each other and at themselves. And for the first time, they saw that they were naked. And they sewed uh, leaves together and they covered their bodies because they wanted to hide from each other and they wanted to hide from God. You know? Alienation. And what is it that leads to alienation? It's always disbelief. It's not even necessarily reality or truth that leads to alienation, but it is disbelief. Now, there are certain times where you have relationships in your life where people uh, truly do hurt you, and you so you learn not to trust them, right? But there are times in our lives where we allow our imaginations to fill in the gaps of our understandings about the motivation of other people, and we allow our minds you know, the jungle gym of our mind, to, to start to fill in the gaps of the motivations that other people have. And so, you could have a husband and a wife, and the husband start, stops believing in the goodness of the wife, and the wife might even love her husband and have done nothing to give any indication to the husband that she does nothing but love him. But if he starts to believe that she is not faithful, that she is not true, that she is not loving, then the relationship leads to alienation. Does this make sense? (laughs) It's maybe not even true. We look at our text this morning, and as we stare at the pages of chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 in the surrounding context, what has God done in this setting that has led Eve or Adam to believe that God cannot be trusted? Right? What has he done? Nothing. Right? He's done nothing. And yet, Eve and Adam are so quickly led to disbelieving God, his word, and his integrity. The question I want to, before we look at Jesus here in just a moment, the question I want us to consider for a second is, why? Why did Adam and Eve so quickly choose to disbelieve in God's goodness and his integrity and his truthfulness? Why? And the answer to this question of why is a really important one because it gets to the root and the heart of our own decision-making that we make with each other, that we make towards God. And so why? And I think the answer is the serpent painted a picture for them, a vision of self-sufficiency apart from God where they would be in and of themselves powerful without God and without the need for him. And so the serpent paints a picture that appeals to their desire to be independent 
and without limits and to be sufficient on their own. What humanity wanted, and we see it here in verses 4 and 5 and then 6 and 7, was self-sufficiency, a world without limits. And yet, what this text teaches us is that we were created for limits. And it's one of these like paradoxical truths that it is only when we live life within those limits that we can experience freedom, right? That only when we live lives within the dependency can we gain independence. And yet Adam and Eve are seduced by the promise of limitlessness and self-sufficiency. A life where they don't need each other and a life where they don't need God. And yet, we were created for limits. To be dependent on God. To be dependent on each other. To live within relationship. God from eternity past, before he ever created humanity, he existed in perfect love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In complete mutuality where each and uh, each other's wills were in complete alignment with one another. But relationship. And that relationship did not lead to a life of less fulfillment, just as, the, just as our relationship, when we live it with each other in a, in a right way, and our relationship with God will not lead to an inappropriate limits, but it will cause us to have more freedom when we love each other. Well, dependence on God and dependence on each other. And what Jesus teaches us, that the path to restoration, the path to restoration, the path of limitlessness is actually only attained through limiting ourselves intentionally. And so what do we see? What do we see in the life of Jesus? And I just have a few stories. What do we see? That humanity was restored when Jesus chose to believe in God's truth and his goodness. When Jesus chose to believe in God's truth and his goodness, and when Jesus took on the limits of humanity and took on the limiting of God's will, when Jesus came to this earth, not counting his deity as something to be used to his advantage, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of human likeness, and dying even death, a death on the cross. But Jesus did all of this out of belief that God is good and that God can be trusted. Just a few weeks ago in our our series before this, Jesus Revealed, we looked at the text when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And remember what Satan tempted Jesus with. If you are the son of God, turn these breads to stone. And what does Jesus respond with? The word of God that man shall not live by the bread alone. And then Satan tempts Jesus and says, "Um, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from this high height and save yourself. And Jesus says, I will not put my Lord, the Lord, my God to the test, right? And Satan says, takes Jesus on a high place and says, I will give you all of this. If only you will bow down before me and worship. And Jesus says, I will worship the Lord and him alone, right? where Adam and Eve were seduced by the lies of Satan, that Jesus is confident and aware of the truth of God, and he is um, 
foundationally supported in those realities. Jesus, the very night of, uh, before his arrest, uh, of his arrest and then before his crucifixion, he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus prays the most remarkable little prayer, and it's very, very short. It's in Matthew 26, verse 42. We don't, we're not going to turn there. But what does Jesus pray? The night before his crucifixion, dear God, right? Heavenly Father, dear God, I'm about to go through the most horrible thing, right? I mean, I'm paraphrasing at this point. But he says, I'm about to go through something horrible. If it is possible, could I not go through this horrible thing? Yes. But nevertheless, I want your will to be done and not mine. Yes. And so Jesus, at every step of the way, is showing us that he believes in the word of God, his truthfulness, that he believes in the goodness of God. And he submits to that. And as a result, what are we told? Not that Jesus is debased and made low, but that Jesus is exalted and given a name that is above every name. He's exalted. Humanity has a temptation to believe that God is not good. Humanity has a temptation to not believe in the truthfulness of God. But Jesus shows us another way. Each and every one of us, it doesn't matter who you are, each and every one of us have had moments in our lives that we simply cannot explain why God would do what he has done. As a pastor, and as I have processed through all those things, uh, many of those things in my life, and I am sure I am at 38 not done processing through it, right? But as I process through, we must reach a place where we place faith in the gaps of what we don't understand, and we stop attributing to God the evil that is in this world, right? From the very beginning, if you still have your Bibles open, in Genesis chapter 3, although Adam and Eve had no reason to disbelieve in God's goodness, a voice of evil came into their life, and it was that voice of evil that seduced them. It was not God who wanted this to happen, you know? And humanity used their freedom to listen to the seductive voice of evil. And you too hear that voice, the seductive voice of evil. Being uh, a follower of Jesus does not keep us from hearing that voice. Do you remember just a few weeks ago when Daniel preached, he talked about uh, the text when Peter has just declared that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and Jesus has affirmed him and said, I'm going to build my church on you. And Peter's next words are, no, you could certainly never go to the cross and die. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, right? There are voices in our lives that are tempting us to disbelieve the truth of God, the goodness of God, his will for our lives, that are tempting us to believe that uh, God is not good. It happens when when we get horrible diagnoses, it happens when we confront the death of our loved ones. It happens when our girlfriends and boyfriends leave us or when our relationships are destroyed. There are all kinds of times when it happens. But the evil of this world is not here because of God. It is here because of the seductive voice of the enemy in our lives. 
trying to deteriorate our trust in God's goodness and his reality. And so this morning, as we have the Bibles in our laps and they're opened, and as we have our eyeballs on the pictures that are warning us of our inclination to disbelieve God, to disbelieve his truthfulness, to disbelieve his goodness. And as we have the elements of communion sitting before us that are the reminders that Christ has forged a new way of humanity and that it is possible for us to walk in that way, I want to pray for us here in a moment as we go to communion that we would choose, no matter what happens, to place faith in the gaps of what we don't understand and to choose to believe in God's goodness and God's truthfulness no matter what. For Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ is coming again. And the evil of this world can hurt and sting but cannot overcome us because Christ has forged a new way. And so let us pray that as we come forward here in just a moment, that the Spirit of God would so work in our lives to believe and in belief to move towards greater expressions of love and joy and peace and godliness and holiness. And the communion table is one of the nourishing and empowering elements as we fight against those false beliefs. And so we offer you an opportunity once more to be nourished and empowered. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the love that you've shown us. We're so grateful for the truthfulness of your word, which does not sugarcoat our condition, but shows us what we could be at our worst and then shows us the path to greatness through your son, our savior, Jesus, who we now come before uh, this table, these tables to celebrate and to ask again for forgiveness and to receive nourishment and empowerment to believe that you are true and what you say is true and that your intentions are always good. As we come before you this morning, we proclaim how desperately we need you and how lost we would be without you. And we ask for your love and empowerment in our lives. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. It is at this point